Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I have two parts for you on today's show. In part one, I'll give you my thoughts on Napoli's Coppa Italia loss to Cremonese on Tuesday. And in part two, I will preview our match against Salernitana on Saturday. So let's get right into it, and we're going to start with the Coppa Italia match against Cremonese on Tuesday. Davide Ballardini got a win in his first match in charge for the Grigio Rossi. Charles Piquel opened the scoring in the 18th minute. Napoli responded with two goals in three minutes. Juan Jesus scored the equalizer before Giovanni Simeone scored a header to give Napoli the lead. The second goal was scored only 32 seconds after the restart. It seemed like Napoli were going to coast to a 2-1 victory, but with three minutes of normal time remaining, Cremonese converted what was their only chance of the second half. That forced extra time. Despite Napoli creating a number of chances, extra time settled nothing, so the match was decided by a penalty shootout. Sadly, only Stanislav Lobotka missed, which means Napoli are out in the round of 16, and bottom of the table Cremonese advanced to play against Roma in the quarterfinals. Now, there are a handful of positives from this result, which I'll come back to at the end of part one, but I want to begin with what went wrong for Napoli in this match. Luciano Spalletti changed all 10 of his outfield players that started against Juventus on Friday, but I don't necessarily think he got his starting 11 wrong. Obviously, we would have smacked Cremonese had Spalletti started his best 11, 
But ahead of this match, we were competing in three different competitions, so if there was ever a match to rotate the squad, this was the one. Personally, I was a little bit surprised that he changed all 10 players. I thought Spalletti would keep at least a couple of his regular starters in the lineup. With Bartosz Berzinski still relatively new to the squad, I was expecting Giovanni Di Lorenzo to start at right back. Also, Di Lorenzo is the captain and he's just a machine, so we know he could handle the workload. I thought Diego Deme would start, but he didn't play because his daughter was born on Tuesday. Initially, I had Lobotka starting even before finding out about Deme because I knew Chucky Lozano was suspended for the red card he got in last year's Coppa Italia match against Fiorentina, so I figured Raspadori would play on the left wing and Elmas on the right wing. That meant that one of our regular midfielders would have to start. Normally, that guy would be Angisa, so I figured we would play with a midfield three of Deme, Angisa, and Ndombele. Then we learned that both Deme and Cavada were not in the squad. Cavada missed the match due to the flu, but Lobotka still didn't start. Instead, Spalletti switched to a 4-2-3-1 with Alessio Zerbin on the left wing, Giacomo Raspadori in the number 10, and Gianluca Gaetano in the pivot alongside Tanguy Ndombele. Now, obviously when you make that many changes to the squad, you cannot expect the same free-flowing football that we've become accustomed to seeing. Our regular starters have played half a season together, whereas the quote-unquote B-team have mostly featured off the bench. Perhaps they've started here and there, guys like Elif Elmas, but even then, they were playing with most of the other regular starters. So it was no surprise that the chemistry was a little bit off. Cremonese also did a good job of exploiting our high line with the pace of Davido Caracca, Daniel Ciofani, and Giacomo Quagliata. That's how they scored their first goal, with a long ball over the top to Okereke. No one picked up the run of Piquel, who was a little bit fortunate that Chofani whiffed on his shot. That actually worked as a dummy to take Juan Jesus out of the play. Okereke nearly scored a minute after the goal as well from a similar play with the long ball over the top, but he pulled his shot wide of the far post. And then around the half hour mark, Juan Jesus made an important block on Qualiata, who was wide open from the penalty spot. That chance was also created by Okereke. So the B team wasn't great in the first half, but for all they lacked in quality, they made up for in desire. This was a group of players who were desperate to play, so they were very eager when the opportunity presented itself. Simeone is the perfect example of that, but in truth, we saw the passion from everyone on the pitch after both of our goals. So even though it was a little bit shaky at times, the B team did what Spalletti asked them to do. When we made our first substitutions in the 65th minute, we had a 2-1 lead. Now, I saw people complaining on social media that Spalletti should not have taken out guys like Ostegaard and Raspadori. Personally, I had no issue with any of the changes. I get the logic that the B team don't play often and therefore they probably could have played the full 90 minutes, but that doesn't mean that they weren't tiring as the match went on. Also, it's not just about rest. The players who start week in, week out tend to be fitter than those who don't. I certainly don't blame Spalletti in theory, Bringing on Angisa, Lobotka, Politano, Kim, and Zelensky, five regular starters, should have only made the team stronger. So if you're going to blame anyone, it should probably be the players themselves. They were playing as if this was a friendly match. They looked very disinterested to me, especially Angisa. Now where I might put some of the blame on Spalletti 
is if he instructed the substitutes to protect the lead. It certainly appeared that way, and that is just not the identity of this club. As we saw against Juventus, we excel when we attack, even if we have a lead. Now, in fairness, they actually did a pretty good job of playing keep away. Cremonese hardly touched the ball in the second half. But as we saw in this match and many others this season, a one goal lead is always risky and ultimately the equalizer was conceded with most of the A team on the pitch. But even then, we still could have and probably should have won this match with all the chances we created. The one that I thought was most costly was at the start of the second half. Ndombele made a great play to win the ball in the Cremonese half and Napoli broke 3v2. He had options on either side and overhit the pass for Raspadori. If we scored there, we would have taken a 3-1 lead and the chances of Cremonese coming back to score twice, I think, are pretty slim. Now, because we tried to protect the lead, we didn't create many additional chances after that, but we did create quite a few in extra time. Victor Osiman nearly scored with his first touch of the match, but Karnaseki made a really nice save. I do not know how Simeone's shot on the rebound did not go in. It spun off the post, hit the crossbar, and stayed out. Even when the skies opened up in the second half, we still created a number of chances. By the way, the weather in Napoli was just dreadful on Tuesday. It was so bad that the match was nearly suspended but the local authorities allowed the match to proceed as planned after an inspection of the stadium and the pitch. So in extra time with that bad weather, Karnaseki stopped Politano's low shot and Gisa had a chance at finish just over the bar. He might have been better off leaving that one to Osiman, though I'm not sure he knew that Victor was open in the area. And then Osiman himself came very close with a header in the final minute of extra time. Those last two chances were from crosses by Berzinski, who made his Napoli debut in this match. In truth, he did not have a great match. He was the one marking Felix Afenagian on the equalizer, and you can see that he was not quite on the same page with the wingers. Of course, that's to be expected in his very first match, but he did show that he has a decent cross. So we didn't take our chances and anything can happen in a penalty shootout. Surprisingly, even with the rain pouring down, 9 of the 10 shooters scored. Lobotka was the only player to miss and I felt really bad for him after that attempt. He looked absolutely gutted after the miss, though he did get a really warm ovation from the fans as he walked off the pitch. I thought that was really nice. We all know how important he is to this team. Okay, let's move on to something a lot of people were talking about after the match, which was the officiating. One of the nice stories in the build-up to this match was that it would be the first Italian football match officiated by an all-female crew. The lead official was Maria Sole Ferrieri Caputi, and she was assisted by Francesca Di Monte and Tiziana Trasciati. Now, they did not have a great match, but it was not because they are women or because they are not qualified. For those who don't know, Caputi worked her way through the ranks to get to this point. She spent five seasons in Serie D and two seasons in Serie C before graduating to Serie B and Serie A. This was not the first professional match that she's officiated. She's done five Serie B matches and one Serie A match this season, so she may be inexperienced in the top flight, but she is certainly qualified. She just happened to have a poor match, which happens with male officials all the time. 
Now, I think most of the errors she made were inconsequential. There were a handful of missed offside calls and a number of missed fouls. The offside calls are actually on the VAR, not on Caputi, and the VAR officials were both male, by the way. Most of the missed fouls were not that big of a deal. Personally, I don't think Gianluca Gaetano was fouled in the area. Had the penalty been given, I think it would have been a really soft decision. And had a penalty been given against us for the same thing, then I think we would have been pretty upset. And again, that is on the VAR, not on Caputi. The two errors that I can't defend and which might have actually affected the outcome of the match were the two missed fouls on Gianluca Cernicola in the second half. In the 50th minute, he was laid on a challenge and put his studs into the knee of Juan Jesus, and in the 62nd minute, he scythed down Alessio Zerbin from behind. Both of those tackles were clear yellow card offenses, which means Cernicola should have been sent off just past the hour mark. If that happened... It was pretty much game over. Cremonese hardly got sight of the goal even at even strength, so with 10 men, they wouldn't have stood a chance. Now, it's not impossible. We saw 10-man Torino score against Milan, but I think it would have been game over. Cernicola still managed to get himself sent off in extra time, but at that point, Cremonese only needed to defend. They did not need to score. So for me... That was the biggest miss from the officials, and that one really does fall on the shoulders of Caputi because VAR cannot intervene for yellow card offenses, at least not officially. In reality, VAR intervenes on minor calls all the time. Just think of all the times an official gives a wrong corner kick or a throw-in, and then they suddenly change their mind and make the correct decision. That is because the VAR has whispered in their ear. Okay, the next thing I want to quickly touch on is the right wing position. After years of debating who's better between Lozano and Politano, it's starting to look like Elif Elmas might in fact be the best option. That is quite a turnaround for a guy who I was saying needs to be sold in the summer. Lozano was suspended so he was not in the squad. We haven't seen a whole lot of him since the restart and now there are rumors that he will be sold this summer. I was surprised to see Politano come off the bench after he appeared to injure his calf in the first half against Juventus, but I definitely think it's worth giving Elmas a shot. Personally, I think he's more valuable as a substitute or a guy who can fill in for an injured player here or there, but I do think he's earned the right to start a few games. That said, I don't think Politano is as bad as a lot of people think he is. He very nearly won this match in stoppage time, but Karnaseki made a very good save. I guess that's our beef with Politano, though. He just hasn't scored enough for a winger. But I think he keeps playing for two reasons. First, he works very hard. He's more than willing to track all the way back to help defend. He's certainly a better defender than Lozano is. And second, he has great chemistry with Di Lorenzo. Just think how often they use that overlap where Politano cuts into his left and Di Lorenzo overlaps on the right wing. Then Politano either plays the in-swinging cross into the area or he plays Di Lorenzo on the overlap and Di Lorenzo crosses the ball. And we actually generate quite a few chances with that play. Okay, I mentioned there were positive takeaways from this result, which I suspect many of you have already thought of. The most obvious one is that we have one fewer competition to worry about. Had we won, we would have played Roma in the quarterfinal, 
and that would have been a very winnable match, and if we beat Roma, we would have played the winner of Fiorentina and Torino in a two-legged semi-final, and that would have been a very winnable tie. And then of course there would have been the final, so we've potentially reduced our schedule by four matches, and with each passing round, we would have had to play a stronger and stronger lineup. Instead, we can now focus squarely on Serie A and the Champions League, which are without a doubt higher priorities, Spalletti confirmed that with this starting 11. Another benefit from this result is it was an immediate wake-up call, an immediate grounding after the big win over Juventus only a few days prior. I think Spalletti can use that to keep this team focused. Finally, there was an important show of confidence in Alex Meret, which I think was a little bit overlooked because Cremonese scored the equalizer, but a few minutes before that, Elif Elmas was replaced by Piotr Zielinski, Elmas had worn the captain's armband, so it seemed like he was going to give it to Zielinski, which made sense. Zielinski is the most senior player on the team. I don't know how it happened, but it looked like the players decided to give Meret the captain's armband instead. So in the span of only about six months, Meret went from being the least wanted man in Napoli to the club captain, even if for only a little while, which was quite the turnaround. The last thing I want to talk about is the new Valentine's Day shirt that we wore for this match. It was the first time we wore the shirt and given the superstitions in Napoli it may well have been the very last time we wore it as well. From a design standpoint I was not impressed at all. I like the pink and red shoulders but like the Christmas kit the lips just seemed very clip art to me. If you type kiss on whatsapp it looks exactly like the kissing lips emoji, just rotated 90 degrees, which I think is very lazy. I think part of the frustration from fans is that we know from last season and this season's Halloween kits that we can definitely do better than this. Even if you just took this year's Halloween shirt and replaced all the bats with hearts, I think it would have looked way better than this shirt. But it was produced in limited quantities and they sold out yet again so clearly there are enough people out there who liked them. There was also a good initiative linked to these kits. The shirts that were worn during the match have been put up for auction on MatchWornShirt.com. That's nothing new, we partnered with them at the start of this season so all of our MatchWorn shirts go up for auction. The shirt worn for the Juve match is actually doing really really well. But the proceeds for the sales of the match-worn Valentine's Day shirts will be donated to three local charities that focus on gender-based violence. So that is actually pretty cool. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll preview the match on Saturday against Salernitana. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to part two of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fort Sinopoli pod. 
It's entirely voluntary, there are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and at our website at fortsandapplepress.com. Okay, so let's quickly preview the Salernitana match next. This is our final match of the Girone Andata. Salernitana come into this match sitting 16th in the table, 9 points clear of the relegation zone. Salernitana had a great start to the season. Through 13 rounds, they had a record of 4 wins, 5 draws, and 4 losses, which was good enough to be in the top half of the table in 9th position. But things have gone off the rails since then. They've managed only one point in their last five matches, culminating with the most lopsided defeat of the entire Serie A campaign. It's probably the most lopsided defeat we've seen in a very long time in Serie A. Atalanta walloped them 8-2. Now, I watched this match, and to be honest, I think 8-2 was a bit of a harsh scoreline in the sense that three of the first four Atalanta goals had an element of luck to them. Jeremy Boga opened the scoring only 5 minutes into the match. He made a lovely dribble into the middle of the park, but his shot took a big deflection off a Salernitana defender. I believe it was Lorenzo Pirola to beat Memo Ochoa. The second goal was scored by Adamola Lukman from the spot. VAR was correct to award the penalty kick, but it was one of those scenarios where the attacking player, in this case Rasmus Hoyland, is dribbling towards the corner flag and happens to be fouled just on the edge of the area. And then Lukman just barely squeezed the shot under Ochoa, who guessed correctly. Giorgio Scalvini scored the third with a perfectly executed set piece. That was the one goal that did not involve any element of luck. And then the fourth goal came from another penalty kick conceded by Fazio. This time, Ochoa stopped the penalty kick, but the rebound fell kindly to Coop Miners, and he tapped it into the empty goal. So on another day, Salernitana might have gone into the breakdown only 2-1. Rasmus Hoyland scored the fifth with a beautiful solo effort, so instead, they went into the breakdown 5-1. Then, Atalanta scored three bangers in the second half. Lukman and Ederson picked the top corner from outside the area, and Nadir Zortea pinged one off the upright and in. All three shots were simply unstoppable, but that's much easier to do when you already have a four-goal lead. That loss was apparently the final nail in the coffin for Davide Nicola, who was sacked after the match. So it looked like we were going to play against new coaches in consecutive matches. First we had Davide Ballardini for Cremonese and Nicopa Italia, and then we were expecting to play Nicola's replacement for this match. A number of coaches were linked to that Salernitana job. After Mazzari, Paolo Souza, and Rafa Benitez all reportedly declined, the leading candidates were Daversa, Samplici, and Di Francesco, so pretty much the usual crew. But, in a shocking turn of events, Salernitana announced that Nicola would return to his post only 48 hours after he got the sack. Nicola posted a letter on social media explaining what happened. Now, I won't read the entire letter, but if you're looking for an English translation, head over to Patrick Hendrick's Twitter page. In addition to being a commentator on the English World Feed, Patrick is also a professional conference interpreter, so you will not find a better English translation than that. Salernitana's Napolitano owner, Danilo Iervolino, gave an interview to Radio Kiss Kiss as well, where he explained what happened, and from what I can gather, Nicola was fairly persistent in trying to get a hold of Yervolino, who eventually called him back. 
There was quite a bit of ass-kissing from Nicola, which I guess is understandable. Yervolino is his boss after all, and he did just give him his job back. Now, I don't know what I should have been more worried about, playing against a new coach when I thought Nicola was gone, or playing against Nicola himself after he's just been given a second chance. Reading that letter and listening to his pre-match press conference, it sounds like he is going to make sure his team gives every single ounce of energy they have for this match. He talked about fighting for every ball until the last drop of sweat. He talked about fighting from the first minute to the last and spitting blood. So he's pretty fired up. Clearly he wants more than 100% from his players. He feels like the fans deserve that. And some of these comments might be in response to a striscione or a banner that the Salernitana Ultras put up at the training grounds that read, at the very least, think about saving your dignity or we'll kick your ass out of the city, balls out. Unfortunately for Nicola, he'll be missing a lot of players due to injury. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. There have been rumors that Nicola is going to switch to a four-man backline for this match, but that makes Salernitana starting 11 almost impossible to predict, so I'm going to assume that they play in their usual 3-5-2 formation, and I will come back to that formation a little bit later in part two. Luigi Seppe remains out with a calf injury, but even if he wasn't, I think Guillermo Ochoa would still start in goal. Even though he's conceded 11 goals in three matches, He's actually been a fantastic signing for the Granata. The 8 goals conceded to Atalanta skewed his numbers a little bit, and he wasn't at fault for a single one of those goals. Salernitana very likely would have conceded even more goals if it were not for Ochoa in goal. He's made 19 saves over those 3 matches, and many of them were big goal-saving saves. Salernitana's back line is a little bit beat up at the moment. Dylan Braun was already out with a thigh injury and Federico Fazio picked up a thigh strain in the Atalanta match. So Salernitana are down to four options at center back. Flavius Daniliuk, Matteo Lovato, Lorenzo Pirola and Norbert Guillombert. I'm going to go with Daniliuk, Lovato and Guillombert to start. Domagoj Bradrich is the preferred option at left wing back, and with Pasquale Mazzocchi out for the season with a torn ACL, I think we are going to see Antonio Candreva start at right wing back. Salernitana have a couple of injuries in the center of the park as well. Ivan Radovanovic will miss this match due to illness, while Giulio Maggiore continues to recover from a thigh injury. Salernitana still have a few options though with Emil Bohinen, Lasana Kulibali, Tony Vilhena, and Hans Nicolusi Caviglia all available. I have Vilhena starting in the middle with Bohinen to his left and Kulibali to his right. The one position the Granata don't have too many injuries is in the attack. Assuming we see a 3-5-2, I think Bulaidia and Christoph Piontek are the likely options to start. Thankfully, Napoli's starting 11 is far easier to predict. Luciano Spalletti should be returning to the 4-3-3 after he was somewhat forced to play a 4-2-3-1 in the Coppa Italia. Alex Meret is one of only two players who I think are likely to remain in the starting 11. Kim Minjay and Amir Rachmani will start at center back. Now, Juan Jesus picked up a knock in training on Friday, so he will not be in the squad. That means Leo Ostegard becomes the third option at center back. 
the nice thing about the Bartosz Berezinski signing is that he is capable of playing at center back as well. So in the unlikely scenario that we need to change a second center back, either Berezinski can play there or Di Lorenzo can shift to center back and Berezinski can play at right back. But hopefully that does not happen because if it does, then we have a very serious problem. With Matthias Oliveira and Berzinski playing in the Coppa Italia midweek, we should see Mario Rui back at left back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo back in at right back. Then in the midfield, I'm expecting our usual trio with Stanislav Lobotka and the Regista behind Piotr Zielinski and Andrei Frank Zambuangisa. The front three is probably the most difficult to predict. We know that definitely Victor Osimhen will play at striker, but there's a little bit of uncertainty on the wings. That's because Chavicha Kvaratshelia will miss his second consecutive match due to illness. Judging from Spalletti's Conferenza Stampa, I think Cavada has nearly recovered, but he didn't train all week, so they probably don't want to risk him getting hurt, and this isn't exactly the most difficult opponent. The logical alternatives are Elif Elmas and Giacomo Raspadori. The report suggests that Spalletti will reward Elmas for his strong play of late and give him the start on the left. We also saw Elmas play in Cavada's place when Cavada missed those few games before the break with a lower back injury. On the right wing, I have Chucky Lozano starting. Now, it seems like quite a few people have given up on Lozano, but for me... He and Politano are still options 1A and 1B, if not only because both of them have struggled this season. I'm going with Lozano because he must be the most fit of the two players at the moment. Politano picked up that calf injury against Juventus, which must not have been serious because he still played midweek against Cremonese, but then he replaced Alessio Zerbin in the 65th minute, and with that match going to extra time, he still played 45 minutes midweek. If Lozano starts, then there could be quite a few Mexican eyes on this match, with the country's starting winger going up against the country's starting goalkeeper. So those are my starting lineups. Before I give you my prediction, I want to talk a little bit about Salernitana's style of play. Even against top clubs, Salernitana don't typically play a defend and counter style like we often see from teams near the bottom of the table. Now, while I respect teams who stay true to their identity regardless of their opponent, there's a reason why so many managers take that defensive approach. Salernitana were very open in that game against Atalanta, and Ladea tore them apart. It would be great for us if Salernitana took that same approach against Napoli, because we excel when we are given space to play in. However, I think Nicola is going to play far more defensively in this match. Perhaps this is the reason why we're hearing about the possible back four, though typically you can play more defensively with a back three than with a back four. The wing backs drop to make a five-man back line, while the three central midfielders and the two attackers play in the middle of the park. That's exactly what Inter did to us. If Nicola does in fact switch to a back four, then I think he's probably going to play a more traditional Italian 4-4-2 rather than the more attack-minded 4-3-3. In any event, given how Nicola spoke in his pre-match conference, I'm expecting a gritty match from Salernitana, I'm expecting them to be very physical, and I'm expecting them to play a lot more compact than we have seen them play in recent weeks. That is not good news for us. To counter that, we'll need to make sure we use our width, 
to stretch the Salernitana back line. Salernitana don't have huge center backs, especially with their injuries. They're all roughly the same height as Osimen, so if we cross the ball into the area, my money is on Osimen to outleap those Salernitana defenders. I think we'll also need to be good from the set piece. The other way to break down the low block is to play short, quick passes in the middle of the park. I suspect Salernitana are going to commit a lot of fouls to disrupt our rhythm, so we should have plenty of opportunities from the set piece. From a Salernitana standpoint, if they are going to play this physical game that I'm expecting from them, they'll need to be careful to stay out of Daniel Lekifi's book, or they will risk having a player sent off for multiple yellow card offenses. From a fan standpoint, I'm not expecting the Areki to be as nasty as it might have been in the past. I think they're predicting about 20,000 fans will attend the match, which is not a sold-out crowd. Of course, Salernitana Tifosi are going to get behind their players, as they should, but in the past, we've seen Salernitana and their fans bringing garbage bags and the like to the stadium just to insult the Napolitani people. I'm not expecting that this time around. There's been a bit of a gemellaggio or twinning forming between the two fan bases of late. I think there's been a recognition all around that we're all from the south, so we need to stand together rather than be rivals. Also, there won't be any Napoli Ultras in attendance. For those who haven't heard, Napoli and Roma fans have been banned from attending away matches for two months, after their respective ultras clashed on the A1 a couple of weeks ago. There might still be some Napoli fans there, but like for the Inter match, residents of Campania will not be permitted to attend. That means there will not be much noise in support of Napoli, which is unfortunate because our visiting fans do tend to make quite a bit of noise. But it also means it should make for a rather peaceful environment, because the two fan bases won't be clashing with each other. With all that being said, I am going to predict a low-scoring Napoli victory. I'll say 2-0 on a brace from Victor Osimen. I'm going to caution everyone right now, though. Do not be surprised by a low-scoring draw like a 0-0 or a 1-1 result. The only way I see Salernitana scoring is from a counter-attack from someone like Bulaidia, or perhaps from a set-piece like a corner kick. But if they do manage to score a goal, that will only give them even more impetus to sit back and defend. Like against Juventus, one of the best ways to beat the low block is to score early. That will force them to push forward to seek out an equalizer, which then opens up the park, and that's when we're most dangerous. The difference in this case is, even if we score early, I don't actually expect Salernitana to push forward right away. I think they would still sit back and continue to defend until around the midway point of the second half, assuming the deficit is still only one goal. And then they will take more risk going forward in the hope of snatching a late draw. Okay, that is where I'll leave it. I mentioned last episode that I was hoping to provide an update on the Primavera. I still plan on doing that, but I decided to wait a little bit longer because the Primavera played against Fiorentina on Friday, so I want to watch that match first. So, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket 5 You can also find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon 
at Pod. I will be back next week to review this match and hopefully to provide that Primavera update for you. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.